0: Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Samus Up Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now, I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Wednesday. We are halfway through the week, which means we are so much closer to July 4th weekend. And I hope everyone is getting prepared for a barbecue or doing something with their families, especially during these coronavirus times. But Again, a few more days to get through and a lot that I want to talk about today. I'm going to be talking about Emancipation, the new Will Smith movie landing to a big company that has been making a lot of noise over the last month. I'm going to be talking about the brand new members that are joining the Academy Awards and a few more news articles. But the first thing that I do want to talk about is something that I addressed yesterday that literally breaking right now at the time of this recording of the podcast just came out and it has to do with the dcu and specifically with ray fisher who plays victor stone aka cyborg and he yesterday i talked about how on monday he put out a statement on twitter or really a little thing on twitter talking about how he wanted to redact this uh, a statement that he made about supporting josh weed and taking over for Justice League in 2017 after Zack Snyder had to leave due to personal tragedies that befell him that had to let him leave the production of that film and so I talked about how well how come you're going after Josh Whedon Josh Whedon was really just kind of caught up in the middle of this I was defending Josh Whedon in that sense because From all I really knew, he was just kind of assigned to do a job as a director. He knew how to direct these big-budget films. The studios must have had him kind of rewrite the script a little bit, add a few more things because they didn't like the direction that Zack Snyder was going in. They wanted to change it up, make it a lot lighter, something that they did with Suicide Squad, and at the time, there was a lot of studio meddling. And so I was asking myself and I was asking him, well, how come you, you didn't elaborate more on the statement? How come you didn't maybe talk about the studio or why would you just kind of say I'm redacting this statement about Josh Whedon? It was very vague. Well, just now, again, at the time of the recording of this podcast, Ray Fisher has come out with another statement regarding kind of elaborating on why he did he what he did when announcing and, and, and retracting the statement that he put out for this tweet. And this is what he put out a little bit ago. And he said, Josh Whedon's on set treatment of the cast and crew of Justice League was gross, abusive, unprofessional, and completely unacceptable. He was enabled in many ways by Jeff Johns and John Burke. Accountability is greater than entertainment. And upon hearing that story, I, first of all, I want to apologize personally on behalf of the San podcast for jumping to conclusions on this with ray fisher again i'm somebody i think a lot of people don't know really the whole behind the scenes story of everything that happened with justice league and it just seems that this property is just it's just kind of coming in radioactive that there's a lot of drama behind the scenes of what happened in the past with the dcu and with warner brothers and if this is the case of what ray fisher is putting out here then I, again, we don't know Josh Whedon's side of it, but taking it from Ray Fisher's side, who experienced this and and knows the what it was like on set, who was on set and saw what this was like, I wouldn't. He hasn't said anything over the last few years. To why why would he? Why would you put this out now? Unless there there has to be some merit to this. And so I think for Ray Fisher, we have to take into account that he was on set. He knew exactly what was going on, and the fact that. It, he knew what he wanted with, with Zack Snyder's vision. And, and for Josh Whedon, to potentially, supposedly come in here and kind of run things, it seemed like, unprofessionally, I think is not right. If, if these accusations are true, then A, for uh, Josh Whedon as a director, then it's not right. It, and I think it makes sense why he wasn't on, on the press tour for this film. He really hasn't talked about this film. And really thinking about it, over the last few years, we haven't really seen... Josh Whedon in the limelight over the last few years, other than really to associate himself with the Avengers and whatever what happened with in 2017 with Justice League. And the reason I say that, why would Ray Fisher put this out right now is, it's not like he, he came out in 2018, 2019, and always came out and said, well, this is what happened. He's coming out now saying this because he put out a statement retracting what he said about Josh Whedon, which... Again, when when you're promoting a movie, you never want to promote the, the bad stuff. And so you always got to commend actors for putting on a brave face, even though they didn't like the experience they had with the movie, and marketing it. And so for a long time, there was no reason for Ray Fisher to come out and say a lot of the things that he's saying right now because there was no reason to. Justice League was put to bed. Why bring up a lot of the stuff that came out? if this happened years and years ago, but because the Snyder Cut is coming out right now, because there there is more momentum to talk about this is what Zach wanted to do, he didn't get the chance to fulfill it, and these are the reasons that would happen, then I have to take his words for what they are right now and, and trust him in that. And again, this is just from his perspective. I would like to hear what Josh Whedon has to say, and maybe we can get more insight into what happened. But again, from what we're hearing from Ray Fisher right now, I got to commend him for... Elaborating on what happened and putting it out here, and especially in the times that we live in, where Hollywood is, is coming under 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 the limelight for not being as diverse or inclusive as it should be, this is one of the things that Ray Fisher is doing right now that you have to commend him for. And, and talking about artists' visions being fulfilled and being and being accepted and being learned at, and and I think this is it, it, it's just it, it's it's very it's very sad. To see this, because I think somebody like Josh Whedon, I've never heard anything bad about Josh Whedon personally until I heard this stuff from Ray Fisher. I never heard anybody from the set of The Avengers, from Downey Jr., Chris Evans, Chris Hemsworth, Scarlett Johansson, Elizabeth Olsen, James Spader, Tom Hiddleston. I've never heard anything bad happen on the set of those films unless they were under wraps for so long that maybe something happened and maybe... The cast and crew decided to move on from him because there was a long history of drama that happened on Age of Ultron where Whedon was tired. He was in disagreements with the with Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios and the way that he wanted to do Age of Ultron that he decided to leave. And then they got the Russo brothers for Infinity War and for Endgame. And so maybe the cast and crew said, we don't have to deal with Josh Whedon anymore. Well, let's just focus on the time we have with the Russo brothers with these new New films that came down the pipeline in twenty eighteen, twenty nineteen, and then with the with civil war in two thousand and sixteen. So I think for 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 this to to happen, I, I think there's a lot more to unpack. I think there's there's gonna be more to this story, hopefully in the next few days and the next few weeks because again, i want I want to know more about what happened. If you're saying this now, especially knowing what we know about what happened on Justice League, then let it come out into the spotlight. Let's see what happens, and let's see if this really did happen with, with Josh Whedon. Will Gal Gadot back this up? Will Jason Momoa back this up? Will Henry Cavill back this up? Will anybody else back this up? And it sounds like, because we don't even hear more about Jeff Johns anymore, that this really was, this time period in the DCU and for Warner Brothers, was was a lot more toxic than I think a lot of people know for it to be. We know about everything that happened with the artist visions from David Ayer with Suicide Squad in which Warner Brothers really messed up with his film and created something else entirely because they thought that's what the audience wanted. Same thing happened with Justice League. And so I I really am curious to see if who else backs Ray Fisher up with these comments. Because again, I, I understand Ray Fisher's perspective, and I think we should take his words for what they are. But if you get more people to back you up, especially the stars that were with you, that experienced this with you, and I would not be shocked if Momoa came out and said something. I think Momoa is a big part of this second command. say, this is true. This is exactly what happened. Ray Fisher is 100% right. I can corroborate this, 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 and that. Same thing with Gal Gadot. If everybody can corroborate on this story, then it gives Ray Fisher more merit than just saying, this is exactly what happened. This is why I retracted my statement. Again, I'm I'm on the side of Ray Fisher right now. I have no reason not to be. But if we have if there's more evidence and there's more statements coming out about it, then it it has more of a of a of an accurate sense of uh, uh, being accurate and being something that you can actually corroborate and actually really take truth to heart. Because if, if you have multiple people corroborating on a story it just adds more truth and more leverage to it than if it's just one person accusing another person evidence accusations uh, multiple accusations we see what's happened in the me too movement where it's not just one person that is accusing it comes out to be 10 20 30 people at a time that it's not just something where you can just brush off so i think if you get more people to come out in support of ray fisher i'm looking at you again jason momoa gal gadot then I think there could be more credence to this story. Henry Cavill, as well, come out and say something. Even Ben Affleck, who doesn't want to be associated with the DC universe anymore, come out and say something to support Ray Fisher. Who, again, these are these are serious accusations that I think need to be addressed more. and I think there's going to be more addressing towards this. And again, I it just you can, I, it, there's evidence to see why you haven't seen a lot of Josh Whedon. Maybe. People said stuff and it circulated around Hollywood, but it was kept under wraps in terms of not getting out to the press, and they've dealt with it internally. Maybe he's kind of in director's jail at this point right now. So I think it's, again, stuff that needs to be looked at, needs to be taken into account. There needs to be more statements that are put out in terms of cast members, crew members backing up, jo- not Josh Whedon, but Ray Fisher's statements and adding more credence to this. Again, I have no reason not to believe Ray Fisher, and I'm taking him on what he said, and I'm apologizing for jumping to conclusions on what I thought, why he did what he did, and and including Josh Whedon in this. And now that he's put out saying, well, Josh Whedon was the one who was treated badly and he was aided and abetted by people that worked in D.C., then there needs to be an investigation. There needs to be more journalistic input or more journalistic investigation into why, what happened, what happened. And I, it's just going to keep on coming out, a lot of stuff that I think – a lot of the actors were keeping bottled up inside for a long time because, again, a lot of them are uh, wanted to see Zack's vision worked out. And the reason they signed on was because of the vision Zack Snyder put out there. And I think people that have heard the reports that have come out, and I think people that were a part of it know that Zack Snyder was really screwed over in this whole entire situation. He really, really was from Warner Brothers, saying that they were in support of Zack Snyder, but deep down wanted to see change to the movie that he created, wanted to see another vision come out, gave that to Josh Whedon, and it seems like Josh Whedon kind of had a hand in things that were happening on set that made it a very uncomfortable experience, it seems like, for Ray Fisher. And again, I wonder if that same sentiment can be said for Momoa, Gal Gadot, Henry Cavill, Ben Affleck, for Ezra Miller, for all the people that were part of the Justice League, was it that same exact experience? Or is Ray Fisher just completely on his own in this standpoint? Which, again, if, if this is true, then I think the cast members should come out and say that they support Ray Fisher in this and that it is 100% true or the statement is accurate for what they experience on the set of Justice League. So, again, my apologies to Ray Fisher for jumping to conclusions on the podcast. But, again, I, I understand now where you're coming from. I can see where you're coming from, and I hope that this is resolved and that there's more found out about the story after the the launch point of the statements that he made. Moving Now I want to move on now to some other news around Hollywood that is happening right now. And one of the big ones that came out early this morning was probably one of the – Biggest deals are the biggest deal to ever happen at a film festival coming out of the Cannes March Festival. And it is the deal of emancipation, the new film from Antoine Fuqua and Will Smith. This was the hottest topic, the hottest package at the Cannes the festival and this isn't the cons film festival but this is a, an online or or a festival where m- films are marketed for being picked up by studios for financing so they can shoot their films and basically they package it with with a log line a pitch line and they include a director maybe or a writer or two and they include actors basically a headline actor or two for, that are going to be a part of the movie so they can attract people to finance their films and this was probably the biggest one to come out that people were really looking forward to and so there were a lot of talks about this is going to go for around 75 million dollars you had streaming services like Apple you had Warner Brothers there were a lot of studios looking to acquire this film and it seems like it wasn't a studio that picked them up but it was the first company that I mentioned, Apple came in, swooped in, and netted this movie. And according to Deadline, it came in at around $105 million. And this is from a Deadline article that I want to read. The commitment comes in at $105 million net, but when back-end gross buyouts are factored in, the deal will exceed $120 million when all is said and done. And initially, Again, the reports came out that this was going to be at around $75 million. But with this net of over $100 million, again, it becomes the highest acquisition, the biggest acquisition in any film festival history. And according to Deadline as well, it talks about how this deal got done and why it got done with Apple. And according to Deadline, they say, Key to the deal is the relationship that Apple Worldwide Video Heads Zach Van Enberg and Jamie Elkert built with Will Smith while they were at Sony Pictures Television Presidents and worked on the Jada Pinkett series, Hawthorne, The Queen Latifah Show, and Hala, which Apple acquired after its Sundance premiere. That familiarity was a factor in Apple winning the property through, multi- through the label also outbid the field. So basically, Apple outbid Warner Brothers, MGM, Lionsgate, and Universal, especially Warner Bros and Universal which are major major studios that have a lot of money in their pockets and to me this is just it's mind-blowing the fact that Apple really over the last month has kind of come in and made really big impactful statements on what they're willing to spend on on films because I think for them what can make them a dangerous streaming service going forward and a threat that rivals the likes of netflix for these films is the fact that apple has deep pockets because they're not just an entertainment company that's built on making television shows and movies they also make apple products they make phones laptops computers ipads they're they're built on a technological scale that it's it's such a big company that they can make money That doesn't need to be included in their entertainment services. So basically, that can act as side change for them, and their pockets are so deep that they can outbid anybody. They did it a few weeks ago with Killers of the Flower Moon, the new Martin Scorsese movie, which they paid over $180. Well, they didn't really pay for it, but they're going to be the budget supervisors. They're going to pay the budget of over $180 million to $200 million dollars on that movie that Paramount didn't want to pay for, and none of these other studios wanted to pay for as well. So Apple is kind of really coming in and saying, well, if not not a lot of these studios want to buy these films at the right price, we can just outbid them like at an auction and say, we'll go for the biggest price possible, and they won't be able to match it. And that seems like exactly what happened with Emancipation, which I was honestly looking forward to seeing in a movie theater. And the question could still become, will they reach out to other studios to to get a uh, a distribution fee to put it out in theaters because that seems like what they're doing with Killers of the Flower Moon in which Paramount is going to have a distribution fee and that's how they're going to make back their investment in that movie is the same thing going to happen with Emancipation that they're not just going to look out to put it on streaming but they can put it out in theaters first and then they can put it on Apple TV plus or is it just going to go straight to Apple TV plus like Greyhound is. So I think that there's a lot of questions that come out of this, but a big, big statement from Apple that they might not look at being themselves as, as something that is creatively going to rival the likes of Disney+, Plus or netflix but they have the pockets to outbid anybody to get the big products that they want to so they can market these big names these big stars these big projects that people might want to see that are interesting and say we can put in the money towards this and we can make it our own so you guys don't get it so i think that's this makes apple a little bit dangerous that i think studios are going to and other streaming services are going to take them a lot more seriously than i think they they started out to when they started with apple tv plus so i think Apple is is making a big stand here, and I think it's it's come to play. and, and I, I think this is going to be something to watch over the next few years, really. I think to see where Apple lands, and when you see them at film festivals, and you look and you're seeing what films are interested in, you're going to have to go in big and swinging big, because that's what Apple is going to level up the ante, and up the standard to be when it comes to these these films. And again, the, the interesting thing about Emancipation is that it's such an intriguing premise. Because it's about a runaway slave named Peter who's cu- who escaped the Union Army during the Civil War and outwitted bounty hunters over 10 days through the Louisiana swamps, making his scent with onions. Army photos taken of Peter show the scars on his back from being whipped were published in 1863 and became known as the scourged back photos, which became a means to illustrate the cruelty of slavery. So whenever you really see packages talking about Black Lives Matter or, or slavery or, or, or the... The, the violence that is inflicted on, on minorities and black people, that photo is always one that is looked on when talking about slavery, and that is the character that Will Smith will be portraying. And Antoine Foucault has come out saying that it will take in the historical background as kind of the setting, but it's going to be more of an action thriller in the sense of an apocalyptico, which was directed by Mel Gibson, than it will be then something more along the lines of a 12 Years a Slave. So I think... The premise, the star, the director, it's all there, which is why this was such a sexy package for people to really look at and see, well, we want this as well, because you got Will Smith, who is a, a tremendous star. So Apple really kind of landed big in, in getting the biggest package in at the Con Virtual Festival that premiered over the last few weeks. What do you guys think about this, that Emancipation will be coming out? Let me know what you think, and leave me your thoughts. Moving on to a film that I want to talk about, and that has to do with Mulan director Niki Cairo directing a a brand new film that she's coming out with after Mulan called Beautiful Ruins. And the story is set in an Italian seaside village in 1962 where a charming young man runs a hotel with no guests until one day an American starlet, fresh from the set of Cleopatra, appears and captures his heart. Five decades later in Hollywood, a jaded assistant to a once powerhouse producer gets caught up in the magic of the Italian story and takes it upon herself to find a happy ending. And this sounds like a cute romantic comedy with some drama flair to it. And I think Nikki Cairo could could be a good director for this. Again, I've I heard she did a, a, a tremendous job with Mulan from the early reviews that I heard at its premiere before COVID, the the pandemic shut everything down. So I have no reason to doubt that Nikki Cairo can do a film like this. It sounds charming, cool, and with some historical context, especially taken from the Hollywood history of, of Cleopatra. So it sounds interesting. It's going to be produced by Amblin Productions, and we'll see what happens with this. But I think this is a, a next cool next step for Nikki Cairo to take after Mulan. Moving on now to some award season news that I want to get into, and it has to do more specifically with the Academy itself. And yesterday it was announced that 819 new members of the Academy were announced yesterday, and it it is just an an incredible movement to see the the steps that the Academy is taking with its inclusivity. And the, the percentages and the numbers of this new, new class is just absolutely remarkable. The, the 2020 class, according to the Academy, is represented of 45% women, 36% underrepresented ethnic racial communities, and 49% international from 68 countries. There are 75 Oscar nominees, including 15 winners and five recipients of the Scientific and Technical Awards. Seven branches invited more women than men. Five branches invited the majority of their candidates from underrepresented ethnic racial communities, and 13 branches invited the majority of their candidates from international regions. And there was a statement that came out from Academy President David Rubin, who said, the Academy is delighted to welcome these distinguished fellow travelers in the motion picture arts and scientists. We have always embraced extraordinary talent and reflects the rich variety of our global film community, and never more so, than now said academy president david rubin and again it's just every single year it seems like the academy even though the numbers are down in terms of new members to see that they really are trying to focus on representing more minority voices that haven't been heard and not really being more of a group that is all white that they want to see more diversity within the academy i think is incredible and you see it in the in the nominee not the nominees but the members that have been inducted, such as Alicia Precio from Roma, Aquafina, Zazie Beats, Zendaya, you have Ana de Armas, Mackenzie Davis, Caitlin Devler, you also have Cynthia Rivo, you have John David Washington, the cast of Parasite is in the Academy, you have Florence Pugh, you have Robert Eggers, Matt Reeves, Lulu Wong, Amala Harrell, Ari Aster. It's just an incredible list of people that are coming in and represents different voices that I think over the next few years, we can see different films, different actors, different actresses, different voices be heard within the Academy. And, and I think over the years, it's it's something that hasn't always been a, an upward trend. It's been up and down, up and down. This past year, that was one of them where really only one person of color was chosen in the actor-actress categories with Cynthia Revo. The rest of them were white. But then we had an instance like in 2017 where we had the likes of Jordan Peele, Gerwig, and, and we had Guillermo del Toro win for The Shape of Water. There, some years are better than others, but I think we're starting to see, hopefully beginning this year, and with the win of Parasite at the Academy Awards in February, that we're taking the slow but sure steps of improving the diversity that the Academy is trying to really invoke in these next few years. What do you guys think about this? Let me know in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Moving on to, to an article that I want to talk about from Deadline that has to do with the studios and, and what they're looking at doing with the coronavirus. And, and we've heard over the last week or so that Tennis moved, Mulan moved. All these films have decided to move, and even theater chains have decided to move towards the end of July to reopen the cinemas now that a lot of the major films, the newer films, are coming out towards the end of the summer season. But like I was saying on Monday, there's a hot potato that's kind of happening. Are these films going to move again if these cases are spiking in July or if it's not looking, the numbers aren't looking too good if people wanted to come to, th- to the theaters in the month of July? So Deadline came out with an article last night that I thought was very interesting detailing what studios are looking at right now. And it's not really sounding too good For the month of August and this is the article that comes out from Deadline and specifically what I'm quoting here After July 4th, there will be another assessment by studios and the big circuits as to whether the current lineup of movies Solstice Studios Unhinged, TriStar's Broken Hearts Gallery, Warner Brothers Tenet and Disney's Mulan Moves again as a block in another two-week delay for each film as more COVID data unveils itself As such, it would not come as a shocker if the current August release schedule slides into September at the same time, we're hearing that new lines to Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It, is poised to depart its current September 11th release date, the post Labor Day weekend, which Warner Brothers has turned into a hot launch pad for horror movies, to 2021. Warner Brothers would not confirm that assessment, however. This boils down to the studio opening Christopher Nolan's Tenet first, while also protecting what is a near $2 billion film franchise in Conjuring across six titles. Already, the studio has RSVP'd June 4th for an untitled new-line horror film, and we can get logic dictate our guesses about what that situation could be. And it also says that all exhibitors and rival studios are taking their cues from Warners and Disney in how they respond to scheduling movies in the current COVID-19 environment. So basically, what this kind of means is that right now, Warner Brothers and Disney are at the forefront of launching films to begin the COVID-19 pandemic. It sounds like Paramount... Universal, they're going to take their cues from them and say, whatever they do first, we're going to follow afterwards. So they're basically letting them be in the sacrificial lambs of seeing what their films want to do. And then if everything looks good, they'll come out with their movies next. And again, this is no surprise the reports that are, are coming out, it basically sounds like we should expect once again, these films moving basically into the fall movie season and in, into September, basically starting to... Ting, starting to mingle and, and starting to change up the and tinker with the different films that are coming out in September which is why for Conjuring 3 basically what they're saying is Conjuring 3 which was supposed to come out in September can basically move to June 4th and then they can slot Tenant right into that date if the need so be since it is right now coming out on August 12th so I just think this is more hot potato that's happening and I just think at this point Might as well just move everything to the end of 2020. I think we're looking at A Quiet Place Part two potentially moving out of the September 4th slot and maybe into either uh, the farther half of 2020, into November, December, or they might just say, let's cut our losses in 2020, like a lot of other films have done, and move to 2021. A lot of the major films that you look at that are coming out, minus Wonder Woman 1984 coming out in October, moved initially to november and december because i think they were so worried about there would be so much uncertainty happening that by november december there would be some kind of response that could be cooked up for COVID at that point that people would be willing to go to the theaters once again even with social distancing guidelines and other COVID guidelines that would be imp- implemented for public outings but it just doesn't seem like that is the case for the summertime right now and, and i just think warner brothers disney they just need to solidify dates and say we're moving it back this much once again and not moving it all these two weeks two weeks two weeks and just put it on a date and and be done with it and then i think stop having people kind of guessing and move around i mean it's getting them really good press especially for tenet which needs press especially being an original nolan film this is just giving them free advertising to kind of do this with but i just think at this point just Cut your losses on it and move to a date where you're saying, okay, we feel safe, confident with this enough that no one will be happy with this. Warner Brothers will be happy with this. and Everyone can go about their days just hoping that this pandemic ends sooner rather than later. What do you guys think about this news, about the deadline article? Do you think we're going to have movie theaters by the summertime, specifically in August? Yes or no? That'll be the Twitter poll question for today. You can find it on my Twitter page and put in your thoughts there. Moving on now to one of the last few things that I want to talk about. The last thing in terms of movie news is a trending trailer that I want to talk about. It has to do with a documentary that came out at the Sundance Film Festival called Boy State. It is directed by Jesse Moss and Amanda McBride who collaborated on the 2014 film The Overnighters. And the Boy State is basically a documentary that is, from the synopsis that is said, a wildly entertaining and continually revealing immersion into a week-long annual program in which a 1,000 Texas high school seniors gather for an elaborate mock exercise building their own state government. Filmmakers Jesse Moss and Amanda McBlain closely track the escalating tensions that arise within a particularly riv- riveting gubernatorial race trading their cameras on unforgettable teenagers like Ben, a Reagan-loving, arch-conservative who brims with confidence despite personal setbacks, and Steven, a progressive-minded child of Mexican immigrants who stands by his convictions amidst the sea of red. In the process, they have created a complex portrait of contemporary American masculinity as well as a microcosm of our often disparating national political divisions that nevertheless manages to plant seeds of hope. Now, that is a a doozy of a plot, but when you watch the trailer for it, it it basically kind of sums up what this movie is going to be. I've heard really good things about it from Sundance. It won the Grand Jury Prize for Best Documentary. And it looks, especially in in the political political climate that we live in today, especially with the 2020 election on the horizon, I think this is the perfect time to release a, a film like this, a documentary in which you see younger people taking the initiative to rise up in politics and and, and and plot their versions of what America has to be. And it, and it shows both sides. It shows the conservative side, and it shows the progressive side, which I think in a lot of political movies, documentaries, you need to show both sides of it and not just the one side of everything that goes on. So I'm excited to see what Boy State is and, and what it does, and it sounds like it could be a really good documentary. It's set to come out funny enough, on Apple TV Plus on August 14th, and it is going to open up in select theaters on July 31st. And that has to do with the movie news that I wanted to talk about today, and I want to get to a, a review, but first I want to talk about kind of a little opinion thing, and I'm going to put it out on a Twitter poll as well, about the Transformers franchise. And over the weekend, they had Revenge of the Fallen, on the on TNT I think it was or it was FX or TNT and I was talking to my brother about the the this trilogy about Transformers specifically the Shia LaBeouf trilogy that came out and how the Transformers movies other than the first one are not that good of movies they, they really 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 aren't especially the fourth and fifth film are just plain garbage but to me the second and third film that came out in 09 and 2011 to me, are, are kind of the guilty pleasure films that I enjoy just kind of putting on, shutting my brain off, and just enjoying the action and craziness that ensues in those movies. And I think, one, when watching Transformers 2 and 3, which Transformers 2 is titled Revenge of the Fallen, 3 is Dark of the Moon, they kind of remind me of my childhood, where I think a lot of these films are made for children, in a way. Some of the comedy is definitely more adult-themed, and I think Michael Bay definitely kind of got old with that comedy. But when you talk about the Transformers and just the action, I to me, it was just really, really enjoyable. And I think what made that trilogy really nice was that, at least with the first film, I grew to care for these characters that, even though they were absurd in 2 and 3, I still was attached to Sam Witwicky and Captain Lennox, played by Josh Duhamel, and Tyrese Gibson's character, and even Michaela Barnes, played by Megan Fox, who didn't appear in the in the third film. But I enjoyed the, the character arc, that the relationship that her and Shai played with that, it kind of at least convinced me that they were a couple, that they care about one another, and I was invested in that. So I think for me, guilty pleasures are exactly the definition for Transformers 2 or Transformers 3, and, and that's the question that I want to ask you guys. Do you think Transformers 2 or 3 are guilty pleasures? Yes or no? That's going to be the Twitter poll today as well. Let me know in there what you guys think about Transformers Revenge of the Fallen and Transformers Dark of the Moon. Let me know in that Twitter poll And the last thing that I want to talk about today is a review of a Netflix documentary that I watched on Monday night that I heard a lot about and I really wanted to check it out. And it is called Athlete A and it it, it follows the story of USA Gymnastics and the scandal that broke out in 2016 all the way to 2018 with their team doctor Larry Nassar and how USA Gymnastics covered it up on the Olympian side. And also in Michigan State, how they covered up when he was over there as well, and sexually abusing and assaulting multiple little girls and, and women who were a part of the gymnastics on both programs. And what's interesting is that I really I knew the story of Larry Nassar going into this, and I, and I learned a lot from the from that side, and I read a lot of articles. But the one thing that really surprised me about this was that it flip-flops between showing Athlete A, who in this film is Maggie Nichols, who was a part of USA Gymnastics, but didn't make it to the 2016 team. And she was the first one to report it on the USA Gymnastics side to Larry Nassar, which is why she was dubbed Athlete A. And it kind of goes back and forth between her story of what she experienced and what people experienced with Larry Nassar. And but to me that the part that really really kind of blew me away was the, the 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 structure built with USA gymnastics and that it wasn't just that they covered up somebody who did horrific things it was the fact that they enabled it to happen and that they they cared more about the money and the and the marketing value of these girls than they really did care about Protecting them, and I think we always heard about USA Gymnastics not protecting their athletes, and the same thing happened with with Michigan State University. But to really kind of hear it firsthand from the girl, the woman, the girl who experienced that, I think it just shows the the corruption that can happen in in a level of that kind of sort where money is everything to people, and that it's not just about these women, the, these these people, and how it really kind of went in depth about the the the, the the cruelty of USA Gymnastics and the price of winning and the, the passion that you have for one sport, but can it be taken away when you're not being treated correctly? And I think it is just such an incredible, insightful documentary about showing things that you might know about the story of USA Gymnastics and gymnastics in general, but it added really insightful perspective of this one woman who's really at the center of it all, who brought down USA Gymnastics alongside Larry Nasser because Larry Nassar could have been convicted, and that was it, and, and USA Gymnastics could have been implicated. But Maggie Nicholas, her case really kind of brought down USA Gymnastics and it started really kind of seeing, hopefully, a, a new direction for that, that company going forward. So I highly recommend everybody checking this film out. I give it a 9 out of 10. I thought it, this was a, a tremendous documentary that has some story plots that you might know about the Larry Nassar case but really kind of gives you – different perspective and showcases the other parties that were involved in this horrific scandal that engulfed the the world, especially in 2018, when a lot of the female survivors came out and spoke and were able to give statements, victim statements on the to Larry Nassar before he was convicted to life in jail. So again, I give a nine out of 10. I highly recommend checking this out on Netflix. Definitely give it a shot when you have some time. But guys, that's going to do it for this edition of the Sam Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in on to the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal-Driven Professionals geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. You can check them out on the website, ambiguousproduction.com. Also, on Facebook and Twitter, at RealAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, make sure to follow me on social media. You can also find me on Twitter at Samuel. That's B U S S E L L S A M U E L. Again, that's B U S S E L L S A M U E L. And on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much. And until next time, keep on screening.